Okay, I was thinking about this. I have to tell this story. So I went and saw the Alkaline Trio with my buddy Zach. If you don't know what the Alkaline Trio is, they're a punk band, like pop punk band, super dark, and that's important to the story. Listen to the Alkaline Trio, see if you like them. Everyone has their own emotional connections with music, so when I say a band's really good, I don't mean they're really good, it just means that I listen to it and I feel good because it reminds me of a time in my life where I felt really good. That's what, that's what that really is. People say, this band is good. It's like, no, you're just emotionally connected to them. Because I've heard bands, there are bands that are good. I'm trying to think of a band that is good, but I do not like their music. I want to like Mac DeMarco. I want to like Rex Orange County. I want to be associated with them. I think they're very cool. I think I listened to The Strokes and I think I listened to The Kings of Leon because I like the guys. I like the brand. I like what they look like. When I first started listening to them, I did not like them. I did not like their music, but it grew on me because I liked their vibe, which is important. There's music that I like that I'm, I like hyper pop. I'm a big hyper pop fan, but I'm very embarrassed to like hyper pop. I don't like what it represents, but it is me. And I think, uh, I can't deny that. Anyway, so I went and saw the Alkaline Trio with my friend Zach and it was awesome. It was really great, but it reminded me of a story. When I was a kid, when I was in eighth grade, I bought the album Good Morning by the Alkaline Trio. Good Morning, morning spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. I can't spell in my head. I can't think about it and spell something in my head, but I think I spelled morning right. It's like sad, so good morning. It's like uh, ironic. So I bought this album, I owned it, and the, the cover's a bit dark. It's like the guys are in a graveyard. It looks spooky, it's a spooky, uh, it's a spooky album cover. And there is a song, there is a, the, first, uh, the first song in the album is, is, the lyrics are, I gotta, um, oh, I can't even think, I should just bring them up, but it's, uh, I got a book of matches, I got a can of kerosene, I got some bad ideas involving you and me. I don't blame you for walking away, I'd do the same if I saw me. I touched myself with the thoughts of flames. I shat the bed, I laid there in it. Why, wide awake for days. And then, part, I'm just gonna skip to the next lyrics that, that in it. Uh, step one, slip my throat. Step two, play in my blood. Step three, cover me in dirty sheets and run laughing throughout the house. Step four, stop by at Edgeburg Creek and fringe your crimson hands. You took me hostage, you made your demands. I couldn't meet them, so you cut off my fingers. These are the lyrics of the song. And the lyric sheet is in the album. Sometimes albums don't have lyric sheets, but the lyric sheet is in the album. So I, I, remember, I remember having this thought. This happens to me a lot in life. I remember having a thought thinking, if my mom ever read these lyrics, she would think I was gonna kill myself. She would think I was gonna kill the whole family. She would think I was crazy. She would have thought I had a suicidal son. So I remember one day, my mom, my, my parents, both of them are transparent. Like when something's wrong, you know it. I remember seeing her face and thinking, okay, this is concerned mom look. This is like, she's mad. She's mad, but she's also just concerned. And she and I, she has the album, and immediately, immediately I was like, oh, yep, today was the day, it happened. And I, I just said, I said, oh yeah, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you did, I know you found this album, I know you read the lyrics, and you, you being upset means that you're a good mother. Had she not been upset, I would have been like, you're a bad mom. You should be very concerned with the fact that I'm listening to music with these lyrics. Talking about cutting off fingers and shit. And I just, I, do, I wanted to tell her, I'm like, listen, I know exactly what happened. 
Let's talk it out because you should be concerned even though there's nothing to be concerned about because it's very melancholy lyrics, but it's very poppy, you know? It's, um, it's a safe place for teenagers to play around with dark, spooky shit. To be goth. That's what being goth is. is really like playing around in a safe place with satanic, spooky, dark stuff. But in a safe place. It's the same way with like the Twilight series. It lets little girls kind of play around and have these very melodramatic, emotional thoughts. And uh, in a safe way. Anything like that. Any sort of like rom-com or little girl. And it's, it's with romance. I think with action movies too or anything. I'm not even saying generalizing with little girls. But it's a safe place for people to play around with emotions that are quite dangerous. And that's what I think it was. So my mom reading this is reading this, reading step three, cut my, slip my throat. And I'm like, yeah, I totally get it. So I, I, my mom threw it out and I was like, yeah, you gotta throw that out. As a child, I'm looking at you as a parent saying, yeah, you gotta throw out that album. A boy like me shouldn't have that. So then I just had one of my friends Burn me the CD so there was no album art, there was nothing, there was no trace. I did like the album art. I should just buy it. I should just buy that album to come full circle in my life. Oh, that was so funny. Because that was my parents' main concern. That was my parents' main concern growing up was that I was going to be like a Satanist, I think. Oh, I got to put this on pause. Growing up was my parents were afraid that I was gonna be like a goth suicide kid. They thought I was gonna that's what it was always the fear like anything Like sexual lyrics or anything we would listen to rap music with listen to like DMX and Nelly and Tupac and stuff and anything that was like sexually related or even like gangs drug violence or alcohol My parents didn't really care. I think they thought that's par for the course kids will get it They'll be curious about these things because they're rad as hell and then we just tell them, don't do that, don't have sex, don't do drugs, don't shoot nobody, and that'll be fine. But if it got anything satanic or anything like suicidal or death related, that was my parents' big concern. Here's the thing though, my mom and I, we have this conversation all the time. We talk about it all the time. I'll sing that song to my mom just because it's funny. It's a, We can have a laugh now because it's later in life, but... Uh, my, okay, so this is, this is a sad story. This isn't even a comedy podcast, but there was a kid in my hometown, killed himself. I'm gonna keep it short. Killed himself. I think he hung himself or something like that. But they came in to his room and he was listening to Adam's song by Blink-182. And that was interesting to me because I was like, this song, pro I mean, you can say what you want, but it provoked a child to kill himself. And I was talking to my mom, I was like, do you remember that? Do you remember that kid that killed himself and the Adam song was playing when they found him in his room, it was playing on repeat. And she said, no, I don't remember that. But, and we talked about it, I played her the song. So I play her the song, I play her both songs. But the song that she found in the lyric sheet that she threw away my CD, that was playful. It's playful, it's upbeat, it's a fun song. Adam's song is literally about a kid killing himself to make a statement about how fucked up his childhood was. It is, it, basically the song is about the kid in my hometown that killed himself. It, 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 it's, it's about him killing himself and saying, hey, you'll be sorry when I'm gone. Um, here's everything you did wrong. It's dark, it's dark as hell. And it's weird to me because part of me does think, hey, maybe this kid wouldn't have killed himself if it hadn't dramatized and romanticized suicide. 
I think that. I love Blank Ready 2, but I have I cannot say that I don't believe that a lot of the music that came out in the 90s was very was very pro-suicide. It was very romantic about suicide. Um and also like being blowing up your problems as a uh, as an adolescent and be making them seem more insurmountable in a in a it's blurry because it's this thing where melodramatic I think emo music is that right emo music is dramatizing and making breaking up with a girl or anything seem like the largest deal anything could possibly be to be horrifying terrible trauma when it's really not it's really kind of funny right it's all just kind of par for the course stuff it takes something instead of making light of it it makes heavy of it it makes everything so heavy but I think it gets blurry because it does the, you look back at the emo music, if you look at it in the context of the emo music, it takes itself seriously. Emo music takes itself very seriously. Now, in hindsight, we look back at emo music and we don't take it seriously. We think it's funny. We look at Ohio is for Lovers from Hawthorne Heights and we sing it ironically. But when we sang it back when we were teenagers, we were, we were, we meant it. We meant every lyric. So, it's... It's music for teenagers, but it can get dangerous because I think you need to keep in mind when you're a teenager that this is, uh, you can, you, you almost have to see, see out of the forest through the trees when you're a teenager and think, I'm 17, I'm stupid, I'm not emotionally mature. The way I feel now is, is definitely not the way I'm going to feel in a couple of years when I can look back and see my life through the context of what it was. I was in high school. A lot of times you can't do that. So I think music's dangerous. Music is dangerous because it, uh, it can magnify those feelings. So my mom, anyway, so my mom listens to both songs and she says, well, I still think the one that you were listening to, I, that was way more concerning. I'm like, this one's about a kid killing himself, literally killing himself. It, there's nothing left up. The lyrics that she read of mine were um, allegorical. They were metaphoric. They were playful. It was a poem. It wasn't meant to be taken seriously because it's so over the top, right? The lyrics of Adam's song are, I'm going to kill myself and it's my parents' fault. I've been ostracized as a teenager and the pain of being ostracized is so bad that I'm going to hang myself in my bedroom and you're all going to be sorry. It's not, it is not, it is not, oh, well, that's my interpretation of the song. That is what the song is about, okay? And my mom's like, yours was more concerning. I'm like, all right, great lady, cool. Cool. Okay, you don't understand. You do not understand art. She literally thought I was gonna cut my throat, play in my blood, and cut somebody's fingers off. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. And if she did, I mean, I don't know. When you're, also, one thing we're learning, we're learning as I get older, is recognizing situation, all you really have to do in life is take a situation for what it is. Break it down, take your emotions out of it, take your ego out of it, and just look at it and say, this is what it is. Understand the other person's point of view, understand what you're feeling, understand why you're overcompensating, and assess the situation for what it is. But there, occasionally in life, you have to be able to recognize, hey, you know what? I'm so emotionally worked up from this situation that I can't 
really see it for how it is. And that's what friends are for. Or a therapist, I don't know. I'm worried about going to a therapist, but that's what at least friends are for. Your job is to go to your friends and say, I'm gonna tell you everything about this situation, and I'm gonna be honest, honest with you. I can't assess it. I can't assess it on my own. I need you right now because I think I'm seeing things incorrectly. I think I'm so emotionally emotional about this that I'm seeing in a way in a way that isn't reality. I've had that. I've had that very recently. And even within 2 weeks, within 2 weeks, I look back at that time, that 4 or 5 no wait a week. That week of my life, I look back at that and I'm like, "Oh my gosh. I am so glad I did not react um and have a talk with the person and convey the emotions I was feeling. Because looking back, I was being ridiculous. I was not having boundaries. I was not having boundaries. I was not checking myself. And that was the problem. And then I pull out two weeks later. I do my own self-work. I, I get back to a place where I'm feeling like myself again. And, uh, and I look at the situation for what it is. And I say, thank God I did not react. Thank God I did not react the way I was feeling. Thank God I did not express myself when I was feeling that emotional. So, yeah. Gosh. Anyway. I don't even remember what I was talking about, but that's what friends are for. That's what friends are for. You can say, hey, look, um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm feeling, I don't trust myself right now. By the way I'm feeling, I don't trust myself to make a decision about my life. Can you help me? I won't hold it against you if, in fact, the decision we make leads to more problems for me. I won't hold it against you. All I'm going to do is give you the situation in the best description I possibly can, and then you tell me what you see based on the story I told. I'm going to give you as many facts as I possibly can. I'm going to leave the way I feel emotionally out of it and let you assess it and tell me what you see. That's what friends are for. Because it is hard. But a lot of times in life, you can just look at your own situation and say, you know what? I'm insecure about my intelligence. I'm insecure about my sense of morality. I'm insecure about that. So I find the need, I get worked up because someone made me feel bad about my intelligence. So I attack back because that's how I feel. How dare you make me feel bad? That's, so that's kind of what I wanted to talk about is a lot of times I feel like relationships and friendships get complicated because we want people to feel bad. And it's not our fault. We kind of, we kind of bank guilt on people. We say, I'm going to do this because you did this. So we bank guilt. We'll take something and say, I mean, I heard someone talking about this. So this guy said, I wish my wife would cheat on me. So that way, in any argument that we have, I can just pull out the, well, you cheated on me card. And it was funny. It was said as a joke, but I'm like, okay, we all kind of do that though. We all kind of tally rights and wrongs in our head rather than speaking up for ourselves in a situation we'll tally it in our head and that's where it gets really messed up because we'll tally it somebody will be late they'll be late for something somebody won't pay you back for something right somebody won't pick up your phone call so in our heads we tally it and then we wait to use that tally for a future event where we think well they didn't pay me back for that one thing. They didn't they didn't respond to my text when I needed them. They didn't what was the other example I had? Um you know, they said something rude to me. So I'm going to use that 
tally later. I'm gonna use my pocketed, my cashed, my banked resentment and say, well, now I have leeway to behave poorly in the future. I hope this is making sense, but you do that all the time. And it comes up a lot in relationships because you'll see that when someone's someone does something wrong or somebody feels slighted, somebody feels hurt, someone feels rejected, someone feels emotionally ignored. They'll bring up something, they'll say, well, here's a bunch of resentments. Here's a bunch of old resentments I've been holding on to. Now, and they bring those up because it's like, now I want you to feel bad. I want you to feel bad. So the person will feel bad. They'll hear all that and they'll be like, oh, I didn't know I hurt this person. But then, this is what's really messed up. People will feel bad. They'll feel bad. And then people will get upset because you made them feel bad. They think, well, you know what? Well, I have all this stuff. I have all this stuff. Now you feel bad because that feels good. You feel like you're justifying it. You feel like you're reciprocating. You're saying, well, you know what? You made me feel bad. Well, now I'm going to make you feel bad. So then you feel bad too. Now we're, it's a zero sum game of feeling bad. Now it's, oh, cause I brought you further down. My status is, is higher. So the trick is, and I've, I've talked about this before on this podcast, but it really is, it's avoiding, it's being cowardly and not speaking your mind and avoiding social awkwardness. And that, which is what I try to avoid. And that is one boundary that I've had. For some reason in my life, I have something with money. Money is hard for me, and I've lived my life for a very long time not speaking up and also feeling like I owe people things that I don't, and they don't think I do. That's a thing, too. I, For whatever reason, I always felt the need to buy things for people or take care of them when it maybe it's something that I wanted to do. Maybe it's a concert I wanted to go to. Maybe it's a restaurant I wanted to go to or something, and I think because it was my idea... Maybe I should pay for it, right? So I have this guilt associated with it rather than in the first place saying, are you interested in this? Are you interested in going there? Are you interested in going to this restaurant? If they say, no, not really, I can make the choice. It's taking your own generosity into your own hands and not believing that you owe someone something. Not believing this thing where it's like, oh, maybe I owe this person something. And trusting that if you do owe someone something, they'll speak up for themselves. That's what it is. If you have that trust, if you don't say, oh, I'm always gonna pay for something, I'm always gonna feel like, oh, maybe because I feel like I do have more money than this person, I should pay for everything, which isn't true. And they don't expect that. And you grow to resent them because maybe you take care of them all the time. You take care of them all the time. And then when you do need that reciprocity, when you do need that back, you don't get it. You're mad, you're angry. Because you think all those times I, you know, I picked up your phone call, I responded to you, I paid for your meal ticket, I paid for this, I, w I went to your dad's thing. All these things that you've been holding on to, that you've been looking at as some sort of, you've been tallying them. You've been tallying these nice things you've been doing. The other person is like, I didn't know. I thought those were gifts. I thought you paid for that, you said you'd do that. I didn't know there was some sort of exchange that I'd owe you in the future. So I think it's a matter of taking, taking it into your own hands and saying, okay, I'm in control of my own generosity. And if and if I don't pay for something or I do something, maybe there's a meal that someone assumed I was gonna pay for, assume they'll speak up. Assume that they'll speak up for themselves and say, hey, listen, you invited me to Mastro's and I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm a little embarrassed. I assumed, I didn't ask questions and I assumed you'd pay for it and you did not. 
Um, and I need to talk about that with you. Bringing that up, is it awkward? Yes, but that is what friendship is. That is what real human connection is, is to say what is on your mind and how you are feeling. Trust that you are, trust that you're a good person and you're not a piece of shit and say what's on your mind, you know? And then if you wanna be generous, be generous. That is your generosity. Understand that nothing is coming back for you. Nothing is coming back. Be generous because that was something you did for yourself. Your generosity was something you did for you. Because if you do it for another person, you're gonna be waiting for that to come back. You're gonna be waiting for that generosity to come back because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it because you expect something in return. You expect some sort of reciprocity. And if you can get to a point where you are in control of your own generosity. You don't feel obligated to do anything for everyone. So when you actually do something nice for someone, that was for you and you don't expect anything in return. And that's important. Even even something so simple, simple as this, okay? Something so simple as this. I do not say no problem. If you do a favor for someone or you do something nice for someone, do not say no problem. Do not say no problem unless it was no problem unless it seriously was no problem, unless it really didn't matter, okay? So say this, when someone says thank you, when you really, when you act not like some bullshit past the salt, but if you do a favor for someone, if someone asks you to do something, you go out of your way and you do that, and when they say thank you, say you're welcome. You are welcome. Acknowledge that there was a favor and acknowledge that you did it accept responsibility for the fact that you did a favor for someone because if you say no problem that means something saying no problem means it was or of nothing de nada it means it doesn't matter forget it forget it 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 i don't even remember it it was no it was of no inconvenience to me so if you do something nice for someone say you are welcome you are welcome acknowledge the fact because when you do that, when you say no problem, you should mean it. Because let's say I have a friend and they say, hey, can you go to, can you drive to the valley and pick me up? Okay. I'm drunk. Uh, my phone's broken. I can't get home or I'm on drugs. I need help. I need help. I need you to drive me home. I need this favor. That's a big favor. That is not a no problem. That is, this isn't a situation that happened, but that is not a no problem. That is a problem. That is a major inconvenience. So you go, you pick them up, you drop them off at their home, and they say, hey, I really appreciate you doing this. Don't say no problem. Don't say it's nothing. Don't say that's what friends are for. Just say you're welcome. Just say you are welcome. And also have boundaries though. If you don't fuck with a person that much, if you're not that tight of friends with them and they call you and they want this big favor, maybe they try to guilt you into it. Maybe they try to make you feel bad. Don't make anyone feel bad, you know? You don't need to make anyone feel bad. You just say, hey, I'm in a rough situation. Can you help? Can you help me? You don't owe me anything. You don't owe anyone anything unless you literally owe them something. That's what it is. You don't owe anyone anything unless you literally owe them. And you also have to trust people to speak up if you do owe them something. Don't get mad when you don't get something you don't ask for. That's a lesson I learned. Don't get mad when you don't get something you didn't ask for. Don't get mad because you assumed somebody would know your needs and they didn't. That'll get you in trouble too. Because I've had that. 
I've had that. I've had people that I've emotionally relied on and then been disappointed when they weren't there and I never asked for them. Because I was too proud. I was too proud to ask. And that's the embarrassing thing. Because you're like, I'm angry at this person for not being there for me emotionally, but I also did not ask. I also said, I also never said, hey, I need you um, now. I need you now. I need your emotional support. I'm calling in reinforce. I'm calling in reinforcements because I need you. I'm sorry, but I'm too weak to handle this right now. Because that's embarrassing. That's a big pride thing. So you're kind of hoping they check in, and you're hoping, hey, I hope they check in, so I don't have to go fishing for emotional support. And then you get mad because you don't get it. It's embarrassing. But if you need help, ask for it. Don't get mad at anyone because you had to ask. That's rude. That's messed up. Nobody's checking in with you constantly. No one's fully aware of what you're experiencing emotionally at all points in time. Nor do you want to be the person that someone's always checking in on, that always needs emotionally supported because they're worried that you're going to make them feel bad if you're not there. Just take care of your take care of your own shit. Know when to ask for help. And then also don't be a burden on people. Try to take care of things yourself. And if you can't, call in reinforcements. That's what it is. And if someone tries to make you feel bad because they need you to be supportive of them, and they want you to say, hey, you're not there for me when I need you. Also say, hey, you know what? I get that. I've had this before. I've had that where I've had to say, you know what? I can't be what you want me to be. I have to have my own boundaries and I can't do this. I also don't want to, because at this point, you're reprimanding me for not giving you what you expect in a friendship. And I don't like that, and this is not going to work. I hope you get what you need from your other relationships, but for me, for now, I cannot give you what you need. And I'm sorry. I don't feel good about that, but it's not going to work. And you can do that. You can have boundaries and say, hey, you know what? You're a, you, what is the word? You expect more than I can give. Um, so to avoid this cycle of disappointment, we should cut this off. It sucks, but you got to do it. Don't let people make you feel bad. Just do you. Be good to your people. I think of this. I think this is what I've learned. This is what I've learned. You're, you're going to take relationship, romantic relationship advice from a, the guy that's never had one. Okay? But a good relationship looks like this. It's like a Venn diagram. It's a Venn diagram of people taking care of each other. And both people are constantly giving a little more. And they want to give a little more. So they look at the other one saying, that you know what, I'm grateful for them. I'm Because they're always giving a little more. I know they care because they're always giving a little more. And that makes me want to give a little more for them. Because that's important to me. So you're always giving a little bit of you're always giving each other a little bit more. Both of you look at each other and think, or think, I gotta give a little bit more because I feel like they, I appreciate them so much. They're so valuable in my life that I gotta give them a little bit more. They come to my, they come to my rescue so often that I need to do more because I need to know that they're appreciated and I can't have them leave me. So even when one of them isn't giving a little bit more, even when one's just a little bit distracted or can't, they still look at the other one and they don't see it as, oh, they see the other one as keeping up. They're like, they're fine. They're fine. They're good. So even that neutral, even that neutral, even that 
yeah, that middle ground, you still look at them as like, they're still doing their part. They're still doing their thing. But, so you have the overlap. You give me a little bit more, you give me a little bit more, you give me a little bit more. So you have this connection of like, I value you and I see what you do for me. And I appreciate that, so here's this, you know? So I think that's important. That's what I've noticed. That's what I've noticed. Um, and I have that in mind all the time. I have that with my friendships, all my friends. So if I need something from them, I ask for it. And I try to, for my own sake, I try to do nice things for them. And I do nice things for them because I want to, because that's for me, because that makes me feel good to do nice for things for them. I don't do that for them. I understand. I do nice things for them for myself because I want them to know they are appreciated and I don't want them to leave me. That's what it is. Cause, but at any point in time, I have no obligations to any of these people. I have no obligations to my own family. I only hang out with my own family, not because they're family. It's because I value them. If I didn't value them, I would not give a fuck about them, for sure. If they were not bringing value to my life, I wouldn't hang out with them. I wouldn't feel any obligation because I came from them. No, I'm related to them. Who cares? I don't, that doesn't mean anything to me. They are valuable people in my life. And for that reason, I spend time with them. So, and I try to treat them well. That's how I feel about it. So really just like, if someone makes you feel bad, you don't have to feel bad. I mean, I even see that with like, people get upset about, I mean, Mark Maron, he was talking about, it, it was such like a crazy layer cake of, of guilting people. He was talking about, he was saying he was frustrated that comedians were frustrated about people having a problem with what they're saying. So it's like the comedian, first of all, so it's like comedians saying, you know, the R word, making fun of people with mental disabilities, right? The comedian gets upset because he says, oh, I can't even say this anymore. You don't have to care. You don't have to care about your audience. Just accept, accept that the things you say, there are ramifications for it. Just accept that and don't complain that people didn't like what you said, right? Just know what you said, know what you're saying, and understand that people are gonna have a problem with it and stand by what you say. You can say whatever you want. You have to stand by the consequences of what you say, though. That's the only problem. And then someone, and then Marin complaining about these guys, complaining about not being able to say whatever they wanted to say. It's like, let them say whatever they want to say. They can complain about it. They can have whatever opinion they want about it. Let them say it. They have their consequences to, to you know, they have their crosses to bear now. They've said something that a lot of people have interpreted as maybe hate speech or something like that. Now they have to deal with it. It's none of your business, you know? All you have to do is live by your own moral code. Don't let people make you feel bad. If you feel bad, maybe you're doing something wrong. I think that happens a lot. People make you feel bad, and the reality is, you felt bad to begin with. Someone's just shining a light on that. Because if someone said to me, hey, you shouldn't have stole from Home Depot that one time, you know what I would say? I would say, yeah, I should not have. Like, you know that's a crime. Yeah. You know you're like a bad person for doing that. I'd say, yeah, I am. And like, do you, like, and I, they are right. They're right. If I were to defend myself and say it's a corporation, it's because I, it's bullshit. It's a corporation still stealing. I'm wrong. I'm a thief. I stole from Home Depot. 
Well, we're getting some major lens flare in now, so I hope maybe this looks cool or something. <laughs> Probably fucked up the green screen, but what are you gonna do? I hope you liked this episode of Joey Bertolt's podcast. I'm gonna listen to it back. I love my own voice. Dude, this actually looks really cool. This is a really great lighting, as the lens is almost entirely covered by the lens flare. All right. Oi.